Well, good morning again. I want to say hello and good morning to those of you who are joining us by video right now. If you're in our contemporary service or joining us online, I'm glad you're here. We're continuing together as a church family with a series called Ancestry.Church. We've been learning this summer from the oldest stories of our people, the ancestry of our family as the people of God, the family into which we have all been adopted in Jesus Christ. And I'd love for you to be able to follow along with the stories that we're reading. If you have your own Bible, you might want to get it out. If you would like to borrow one uh, from uh, the back of the room, our ushers are coming forward in both worship venues right now. Just wave at them or flag them down somehow, and we'd love to be able to share that with you. And you can just stick it on the shelf in the back of each of our worship venues at the end of the morning today. Or if you have a, a Bible app on your tablet or your phone, uh, you can get that out too. We're going to start reading in Genesis chapter 25 in a little bit. As I said, we're learning from these ancient stories, these ancient stories, the ancestry of our people. And we are learning today from the stories that we're reading today how often there's much more going on in our lives than meets the eye. So much more than what is immediately obvious. And maybe even more importantly, how it is that God is at work in our lives so often behind the scenes. How God is at work in our lives in ways we don't perceive and often can't believe. I certainly experienced the way that that works in my life, things going on behind the scenes, there being more going on than meets the eye in a, in, a, in a way about six weeks ago, a month and a half ago. I was going through a little season, a few days, a week of a little more challenging time in my life. I was just kind of in the middle of something hard and could definitely feel it and it felt a little heavy for that stretch. And I'm in the habit of meeting once a month with a group of other guys, a group of other pastors who are uh, pastors in our church network. We're part of a larger association called Lutheran Congregations and Mission for Christ, or LCMC. And I meet with some other LCMC pastors once a month on a video call all across the country, a couple of them here in the Midwest, a couple farther away. And we, we meet online in this video conference and we pray for each other and encourage each other and challenge each other and just generally try to be a support for each other. That's become a real important community for me over the last year or two. And we got together about six weeks ago, so this was two video calls ago, about a month and a half ago, we meet once a month. And, uh, you know, we usually when we get on the call, the first thing is we kind of tease each other and make fun of each other like guys are sometimes prone to do. And then once we manage to waste a little time that way, we'll check in and how's everybody doing? And, you know, the truth is I was not feeling so great at that point. Like I said, it was a little bit of a harder, harder season. Uh, but when it came to my turn, you know, Steve, how are you doing? Oh, yeah, I'm doing great. Thank you. I'm, I'm fine. Yeah, yeah. On the outside, looks like I'm doing fine. I'm sure that you guys have never told that particular lie before, but that's what I was doing. And then it kind of goes around, everybody's talking about what's going on. And then one of the, so I kind of already was like, yeah, God, I know I missed that opportunity to talk to these guys. This is exactly the environment this is for. And then one of the other guys, he tells a story about something that was very similar to what was going on in my own life. And I'm like, okay, I hear you. I know I probably should have said something. Now I can't pretend, you know, like whatever. And then it kind of comes back around and like, Steve, what about you? I mean, in your personal life, anything going on there? Are you doing all right? And like, is it that obvious? And of course, I, so I shared with them what was going on. And, and they were a tremendous encouragement. And they shared their own stories like, oh, yeah, that's exactly like what happened to me two years ago or happened to me three or whatever, you know. And that was really lifted my spirits and gave me some strength and even kind of helped me move in that situation toward some resolution shortly thereafter. God worked through those friendships in my life, through that practice of community in my life to pry the truth out of me. But on the outside, you couldn't see it. There was definitely more going on than met the eye. And as I sort of alluded to earlier, I know that, that happens in all of our lives. And I know that you've had similar experiences and where there's more going on than meets the eye. 
Here in our 21st century context, here in 21st century America, we have practically made an art form out of hiding our real selves from other people, right? We put one thing on the outside, we make one thing visible when something else is actually true on the inside. Maybe, maybe you've had that work out in a similar way to what I experienced, where there's some people in your growth group here at Community of Grace. Maybe it's been another season of your life, maybe some friendship or something else, where God has worked through other people to pry it out of you and get what was on the inside back to the outside. Sometimes, I know from my own experience, this stuff can come out in less helpful ways. Sometimes someone makes a stray comment that just connects with what you were hurting from or what you were thinking, and then what was simmering underneath comes boiling over on the outside, and I wish it wouldn't happen that way, but sometimes that it does. Or sometimes you find out when you are put into a new situation, a different crisis, a different stress than you've been under before, and it kind of lets something out that was there. And sometimes that can be a good thing too, right? You find something out that you, about yourself or somebody else that you didn't know. There's a, a reservoir of calm or strength or some kind of reserve or, or determination that you didn't even know was there. That could be more to you than meets the eye in that way too. But sometimes it also comes out in less helpful ways that can go the other way. I think very often the most important and the most interesting things about our lives are not the most visible and most obvious things, but sometimes the hardest things to see. And that can be especially true about God's work in our lives, that we don't always see it right away, that we don't always understand it right away. Very often God is at work in our lives in ways that we don't perceive and can't believe. But I think that's one of the many ways that these stories from the ancestry of our people, from the people of God into which we have been adopted in Christ, can help us. It's like training for our spiritual eyes or training for our spiritual ears. That we can read these old stories and see, oh yeah, that's kind of how it works. I see that. See, that's how God worked in their lives. That's how I see the character of God working in situations like mine. And it's like it trains us to look at our own lives and our own relationships and our own community and say, oh, that's where I see God at work. And I'd like to work on that with you this morning in a couple examples from the stories of two characters whose names are Esau and Jacob. If you have your Bible right now and nearby you, if you would turn with me, please, to Genesis chapter 25. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 25, verse 27. If you're using one of these Quest Bibles that we have here, it's on page 36. I really like learning from Genesis. It's so easy to find. It's the very first book. You just start at the left, and there it is. We're going to start in Genesis 25, 27. Last week, Kevin taught us about the story of Isaac and Rebekah, the parents of these two, the parents of these two twin boys, Esau and Jacob. And today we're going to read a couple stories from the growing up and adult lives of Jacob and Esau. So we'll start here in Genesis 25, 27. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. They're different people, right? Different personalities, different interests. They're twins. Some of you may be parents of twins. You may be no twins or multiples. They're so much genetically the same and oftentimes so different in personality. And that was true for Esau and Jacob here. And unfortunately, in our experience, when we are different from other people, oftentimes that leads to a rivalry among us. If we're different, we find that we have to figure out in what way our difference is better than somebody else, right? I wish it wouldn't happen that way, but in human community, it often does that difference turns into rivalry. As Christians, I think we need to learn to do differently and better than that and lead to a different experience than that. But here you can sort of sense where this is going to go with Esau and Jacob. 
And the next verse tells us in verse 28, Isaac, the father of these boys, who had a taste for a wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Uh-oh, right? We got a little parental favoritism going on. And Esau, why does Esau love, I'm sorry, why does Isaac love Esau? Because he's like him, because he does something that I like. It's even a selfish kind of love for his son, right? And Rebekah favors Jacob. Some of you may have grown up in homes where you had an experience of parental favoritism, and maybe you were the favorite, and that had its pros and cons, or maybe you weren't, and that had its pros and cons. Some of us are parents, and maybe you're reading that going, little self-check right now, do I practice favoritism? A number of years ago, I was talking to someone who'd been an elementary school teacher for a long time, and she was talking about having favorites in the classroom, and I thought, you're not supposed to have favorites, right? And she said to me, no, everybody has favorites. You just can't play favorites. Yeah, smart, thank you for that lesson, right? So here we got a little parental favoritism. That's, gonna, that's going on behind the scenes more than meets the eye, but it's going to color what happens. It says here, once when Jacob, this is verse 29, was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country where he liked to be, and he was famished. And he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. And that's why he was called Edom. Edom is the Hebrew word for red. Do any of you have nicknames that reflect the dumbest thing you ever did? You know, like you get to go through life with that. Sorry, Edom, Esau. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. All right, a birthright, what is that? That's basically an inheritance. Nothing particularly overly spiritual about this, but it's the family inheritance. The way a birthright worked for a firstborn son in those days, the way inheritance worked, first of all, there's some baked in, some deeply embedded sexism and patriarchy here. Only the sons would inherit in this culture. There's some things from these cultures we're glad that we are in the process of outgrowing, we need to leave behind. Only the sons would inherit, and the firstborn son would inherit the most. So however, in this culture, as in many uh, throughout the ages, as many children as there were, or as many sons as there were, the property would be broken into that many pieces plus one, and the oldest would get the bonus portion, right? So if there were seven sons, you'd break it up into eight pieces. Everybody would get a, an eighth, except for the oldest son who would get two eighths, or he'd get a full, that's one quarter, right? Everybody else would only get one seventh. Now in this case, you got two sons, and it would be divided up into three pieces, which is the most unequitable it could possibly be when you only have two, right? And human nature being what it is, and Esau would normally get two pieces, so he'd get two-thirds, and Jacob one-third. Human nature being what it is, do you think the younger sons ever felt a little bit of resentment about that? Human greed being what it is, do you think it's ever like, why is that fair? I'm smarter, I work harder, I whatever, just because he's older, he gets all that extra, that doesn't seem right. And I can only imagine that if people ever felt that way, that it would be especially sharp for a twin who was the younger one, right? I mean, Jacob was younger than Esau by like 12 seconds. How fair is that, right? He came out holding onto Esau's heel. They practically were born at the same time. You can feel what's going on in the relationship between them. And Jacob says, for the stew, give me the inheritance. Sell me your birthright for the price of a bowl of stew. Verse 32 Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is a birthright to me? I'm going to be dead. I can't inherit anything. But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Not even any goat in that stew, just bread and lentils, right? He ate and drank, then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. He held his birthright in contempt. He dishonored it. He dishonored the family legacy, the family inheritance. 
And the story says that Esau was sort of foolish in that regard. He despised his family's birthright. Esau was short-sighted and unwise. But Jacob was deceitful and conniving. If you had to pick, which kind of human being would you want to be? The right answer is neither, I think. There's a lot going on in both of their stories, right? And, and God's at work behind the scenes here, but the story doesn't tell us how. And before we start to ask that question, let's read the next story about Jacob and Esau also, which is just one chapter later. So turn a page with me to Genesis chapter 27, or you can click on the arrow on the right side of your screen and get over to Genesis 27. This is several years later, and we're going to begin in Isaac's older years. Genesis chapter 27, verse 1. Uh, this is on page 38 of your quest Bibles. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son. Here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man and I don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver and bow, and go out into the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Right? That's what he liked so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Sort of like going out to a big fancy dinner, having a big feast for us. And it's a, it's a tender moment, right? Here's Isaac not knowing when he will die, but figuring that his days at this point are short. And he wants to pass on the blessing. He wants to pass on the legacy to the next generation. It's one of the beautiful things that happens in a family where the generations are connected. It's one of the beautiful things that happens in a church family when the generations are connected as one generation after another after another passes the blessing to the next generation, and passes the mission of God that we've been serving for decades to the next generation. Here, Isaac is doing that with his son Esau. In the verses that follow, we discover that Rebekah overheard Isaac saying this to Esau. Do you remember which son was Rebekah's favorite? His name was not Esau, right? Jacob. And so Rebekah calls for Jacob, and she says to Jacob, your father's going to give his blessing to Esau, but I've got an idea. And she wants him to disguise himself as Esau and go in and get Isaac to bless him instead. And so she gets some goat skins to put on Jacob's hands because Esau is hairy and Jacob is smooth-skinned. I've never known a hairy dude who felt like a goat, but apparently this was going to work for Isaac in this case, right? And she says, let's prepare a stew together that will seem like the stew of wild game that Esau would have brought in. And you're going to wear Esau's clothes so that you'll smell like him. You'll smell like you've been out in the fields all this time. And Jacob at first objects, I think not so much because he's afraid of the deceit or the conniving. We can see that he's willing to do that. But I think he objects because he's afraid he's going to get caught. But Rebecca talks him out of that and says, go ahead, it's going to be fine. So he does. He goes in and meets with Isaac. And Isaac's first answer is one of logic. How'd you get here so fast? Could that really be you? And Jacob says, you, know, you had to go out and hunt. You had to find the prey, hunt it, kill it, clean it, cook it. How'd you get here so fast, right? And Jacob says, the Lord your God gave me success. Ooh, that feels uncomfortable, right? And notice that Jacob doesn't say, the, the Lord, the God, God, the Lord gave me success. Or the Lord, my God, but the Lord, your God, right? There's this distance there. And then, so Isaac's like, okay, I guess that's you. And he, he touches Jacob's hands and it feels like Esau, I guess. But he says, it doesn't sound like you. Is it really you, Esau? He asks him straight up more than once. Yes, it sure is, Jacob says. And Isaac is thinking it's the voice of Esau, but it's, it's the hands of Jacob. Sorry, it's the voice of Jacob, but it's the hands of Esau. 
And then at one point, Isaac leans in, right, to give him a kiss, and he smells him. He's like, oh, yeah, smells like Esau. I guess my ears must be tricking me or something. It's really him. And so then Isaac confers the blessing upon Jacob, who he thinks is Esau. And we're going to read that blessing, but before we do, I want to read to you how God gave this blessing to the previous generations of this family. Something really interesting happened here, all right? So we're going to turn back here. If you have a Bible open or whatever, you might want to hold this page, but we're going to turn back a few pages to Genesis chapter 12. It's page 18 in your Quest Bible. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, this is how God first gave the blessing and the promise to Abraham, who is the patriarch of this whole family, this whole family into whose ancestry we have been adopted. This is what God says to our people. I will make you into a great nation, Abraham, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's kind of how it ends. Now let me flip forward. We're going to go out to Genesis 26, almost right in the middle of what we are, what we're reading today. And this is how God reiterates the promise to Isaac, the son of Abraham. So the blessing reaches the next generation. And in Genesis chapter 26, verses 3 and 4, on quest page 37, Genesis 26, 3 and 4, this is how God re-articulates the promise to Isaac in the second generation. Stay in this land for a while, Isaac, right? In the first generation, God said, Abraham, go to this land. They're there now. God says, stay in this land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father, Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. I'll make of you a great nation, God said to Abraham. And I will give you uh, all the stars in the sky. And I will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Very familiar, right? A little different words, same content. Now, in Genesis 27, where we've been reading, read with me or listen to what what Isaac says to Jacob, whom he thinks is Esau, in Genesis 27, 27. Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. Period. Do you notice the part that was missing right at the end? The way both of the first times that God said to Abraham and Isaac, it ended, and it didn't end that way this time. And all nations of the earth will be blessed through you, and you'll be a blessing to all the people of the earth. What is it about that human tendency that when we get to articulate God's word, we start thinking that it's just for us? That we like to think that God's blessing has come to us, and hopefully that'll be great for us, and it'll be prosperous, and heaven's due, and earth's richness, and how great for us. And we forget that God's insistence, that God's pattern, that God's persistence is to take the blessing to the world, right? And we find out in the next chapter, actually, we're not going to read it today, it'll come up next week, how God articulates, God gives this blessing to Jacob himself again, and when God gives the blessing, he puts it back in. He's not going to be done with this. He says we're going to take it to all the families of the world. But we have this tendency, don't we, as human beings, to want to keep the good stuff for ourselves, to keep things, to care for ourselves, and to forget that the blessings of God were always meant to come to us and to flow through us. 
to others. Well, in this story, after this articulation of Isaac's blessing to Jacob, Jacob leaves the tent of Isaac, and on his heels comes Esau, which is sort of an interesting reversal of their birth order, where Esau came first, and Jacob was grasping onto his heel. Here comes Esau, and he, he and Isaac figure out what happened, and they are hurt, and they are angry, and Jacob goes out to Rebekah, and Rebekah realizes how angry everybody is. I suppose she expected that and that Esau is fit to be tied, and he wants to kill his brother Jacob. And Rebekah tells Jacob, you have got to get out of here. you got to split and leave town. And Jacob does to escape the lethal anger of Esau. And that's where the story ends for today. Kind of unresolved, like our lives, right? In between chapters, right in the middle of the action. So let's, let's take a look at these stories, and let's ask ourselves as we finish today, what's God doing behind the scenes in this story? What is going on that doesn't immediately meet the eye, that we don't perceive or maybe wouldn't have believed? And I want to finish with these three quick questions. What's God doing in our sin when we disobey God? What's God doing there? What can we learn from these stories? What's God doing in our sin? What's God doing in our loss, in our brokenness when we get hurt? What's God doing there? And then finally we'll ask, what's God doing no matter what? What's God just going to keep doing no matter what? What's God doing in our sin? You know what I see God doing in this story? Not giving up on people. Not giving up on Jacob. I mean, this Jacob is a nasty character. He's conniving and deceitful and selfish. And yet he becomes such a central character in the story of God's salvation. Jacob is the father of the sons who are the 12 tribes of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jesus says. Jacob becomes the progenitor of Jesus and the ancestor of our people. God works Jacob back into his story. God is not giving up on us. He is not disqualifying us from his family or disqualifying us from his work. You know, as I read through this story, I don't remember reading the word forgiveness anywhere. But if I were looking for a story of it, I might turn here first. God who forgives the sins of Jacob and welcomes him back into his family and sees him as his family and gives him his work to do. He is not giving up on us. God forgives us in our sins. That's the God that we meet here in these stories. The God we know and worship and serve is a God of forgiveness. And God is also in our sins, I think, working on us. God doesn't will our sins, but he sure will work in them. Sometimes it takes a long time and circumstances we couldn't have expected. It could take a lot of our lives. But Jacob is this deceiver and this trickster. And in this next episode of his story after this, when he goes away, he starts working for somebody who tricks and deceives him. And Jacob has lots of stories, lots of chapters in his story left to write, lots of life left to live. God was not done with him yet. He's still working on us. And he's still working on other people too which probably ought to instruct the way that we regard others in their sins, to be patient with them as God has been patient with us. But as God worked on Jacob and his particular sins, I'd like to ask you to think about it. How might God be working in you in the ways that you've run away from him or said no to him or walked down paths you wish you hadn't? What lessons might God be working there? In what ways might God be calling you back to himself? What might God be teaching you? There's no formula for this stuff, so I sure can't tell you. But the living God is at work in our hearts. We can learn to listen from stories like these and maybe in your growth groups or maybe in your friendships. People can pry it out of us and help us see what's going on behind the scenes. 
The easy route is to give up on ourselves or to give up on others. But the fruitful route, the godly route, the route we see so often in the scriptures is not to give up or to quit or to go around, but to go through. Sometimes to live through the consequences of our sin and to listen for God's voice and perceive God's work in the midst of it for what God wants us to learn and what he wants to do in us. And what's God doing in our losses? It's not always that we're the perpetrators. Sometimes we're also the victim at the same time. What's God doing when we get hurt or wounded or wronged somehow? What about the story of Esau? I would say the same thing. God is not giving up on us, not leaving us for dead, not figuring that our stories are over. I mean, Esau made his own dumb choices in this story. He's far from perfect, to be sure. But it sure seems like he got the short end of the stick a couple times. It feels to me like Esau got exploited in these stories. And yet he still has a role to play in this story. Esau has chapters yet to be written. He has a lot of life left to live. And a few chapters later, when Jacob comes crawling back from where he has gone, it's Esau who's still there in the home country who has the opportunity to graciously welcome Jacob back and to embody the gracious character of God to his brother Jacob. And interestingly enough, the language that the writer of Genesis uses to describe Esau's actions in that encounter is very similar to the language that Jesus himself used a couple thousand years later when he told his famous story of the prodigal son, of this disobedient son who ran away into the far country and had to come crawling back to his father. And the father who's meant to represent the gracious character of God welcomes him home. And the words that Jesus uses in that story echo those words of Esau welcoming him home again. When we are hurt and wronged and experience loss, our stories are not over. There are chapters left to write. There is life left to live. And that's true of your story too. God is not done with you in where you have been hurt. There's more to you than meets the eye and more to the story than meets the eye. And again, I can't tell you the answer, but I'd invite you to think about it, to reflect and to pray. What's God doing in those places in my life? What does God want me to learn here? How will God redeem this loss, there's a lot of chapters yet to write, a lot of life left to live. In fact, when I think about those two lessons of what God is doing in our sin and in our loss and not giving up on us, it reminds me of a, a relatively famous verse from the New Testament, a, a thousand pages later in the Bible or so, a couple thousand years later. If you want to read it with me, this is a verse from Romans chapter 8. It's Romans 8, verses 38 and 39. In these Quest Bibles, it's page 1655. It's in a letter that the Apostle Paul, one of Jesus' most famous followers, wrote to the Christians who were in the ancient city of Rome. And he brought this great chapter to a climax by telling them this. In Romans 8, verse 38, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, not the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Not your sin, not your foolish mistakes, not your losses, not your wounds, not your wrongs. Some of us have tried to push God away. Some of us have run away from God. Some of us have tried to keep God just about this far away. But Paul said in that little line there, what functions as a, a suitcase for the story, to carry around a little summary of the story, there is nothing in all creation that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is undeterred. He is unimpressed by your sin. He is unswerving from his commitments. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So in the midst of all that, what is God doing then? What's God doing no matter what? 
from these stories, I would learn that God is taking that love and grace to the world. He is taking it to the world through a bunch of screw-ups like Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob and Esau and you and me. Even when we start talking and acting and believing like the blessing of God is just for us. When we say the richness of the earth and heavens do and earth do and all the prosperity is for us and the blessing of God, God will come back and go, no, that's not how I said it. And he'll re-articulate the blessing for us and say, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God is taking it to the world. And that is ultimately what he did in that great, 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 great grandson of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whom we know as Jesus of Nazareth. He took the blessing to the whole world and made him Lord not just of one family or of one nation, but the Savior of the whole world. And he did it in full view in that case. It wasn't happening behind the scenes, though it still was easily misunderstood by many. That's what Jesus did, and that's what we get to do. That's what we get to participate in. God gives us the privilege. He invites us not only into the family, but also into the family business to take the blessing to the world. Take it to the world this week. Take his grace to people who have failed, to people who are as full of sin as you are and I am. Take his grace to the world and take his love. Take his love to people who are forgotten. Take his love to people who are wounded. Take his love down the row and take it outside. Take it to your friends and take it to your enemies. Take it to your family. Take it to people who are like you and by all means take it to people who are not like you. Take it to your neighbors. Take it to your coworkers. Take them the love and grace of God as an embodied representative, as an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, which is what you are, as a representative of Jesus in whom God's love and grace has come first to us and let it not stop there, but take it to the world. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your patience in working with us. Thank you for your grace that you have not given up on us in our sin that you have not left us for dead in our wounds and in our losses, but that you are working. And I pray that you would redeem our sins and redeem our losses, that you would cause your grace and love to overflow our hearts, to fill them to overflowing, and that you would strengthen us by your Holy Spirit to join in your work to take your love and grace to the world, to remember that the blessing is for us, for all who are near, and for all who are far away. Fill us with your Holy Spirit that we would enjoy the privilege of sharing in your work. We pray as we live in Jesus' name.